0: So, have you ever signed up for something and then found out that it was way more commitment than you thought it was when you signed up? Anyone ever had that? Like you thought, oh, you know, I'm signing up for like a level one or two out of ten commitment and all of a sudden it's like at a nine or a ten Um, When I first started in ministry um, 25 years ago, um, Kristen and I were living in Alameda, California. I was um, a part-time youth pastor at a church in Hayward, and I was attending um, an activity for some um, area youth. Different churches had sent different kids together for this area youth activity, a retreat or something. And there was a person who came up to me and said, "Hey, you're fairly new to the community." I was I was new to the area and new to ministry and new to the um, this activity that we were a part of in this group that we were a part of. And they said, we actually need somebody to take on um, this one responsibility. It's just one thing that um, really, uh, we as a community, we don't have somebody who can do this, but we see in you the gifts and abilities to be able to do it. Would you be willing to do that? And of course, I'm at that point, I don't know, I was like, um, you know, I felt like I was 14. I think it was in my early 20s. I know it was in my early 20s. I thought I could take on the world. So I said after, um, I think at that point in our marriage, I wasn't asking Kristen about those sorts of decisions, which was foolish at the time. So I think I said yes immediately and then paid the price for it with her later. When I found out that I was way over committing myself, This turned out to be one meeting a month that I had to drive at least an hour and a half for with at least two meetings a year where I had to fly to Grand Rapids, Michigan in order to do it. It also meant that I was a part of writing. In fact, I wasn't a part. I was the person writing policy for about 20 or 30 churches as they thought about ways to work together on youth ministry. And I had no idea that that was the case. And I remember thinking after about a year of this, like, I need to get out from under this. um, Which it took me another couple years to be able to get out from under it. But it was overwhelming because I'm like, I didn't sign up for this. I thought this was simple and basic and, you know, maybe a couple hours a month. Or, you know, I can do this one or two things and then be done with it. And it turned out to be this major big thing. I was a board member for Youth Unlimited. I was um, a lead trainer for the um, local area youth initiative. There were a whole bunch of different things that I had to do out of that. And it was just too much beautiful part about all that is it really invested me in ministry, and so there were some huge benefits. But I remember thinking at the time, someone sold me a bill of goods. And in our text this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you have to wonder if the Corinthian church that Paul is writing this letter to as they read the letter that he's writing to them, is starting to wonder whether or not this whole following Jesus thing is a bill of goods that they got sold and they didn't know what they were signing up for. Because there's a lot of stuff here. This is actually perhaps one of the more complex theological passages that we've studied together here for, uh, for a while at the river. So please bear with me. I'm going to try to walk us through it. There's some things that I'm going to have to skip over because there's just too much here. But please, as we live into this morning, hear this. God calls us to patiently endure trial and challenge. And at the end of that patience and endurance, there is blessing. That's the message for this morning. Let's pray for God's presence and his Holy Spirit to guide us as we learn more about what that means. Father, equip us this morning to hear your words. That although there is so much to following you, and the longer we do it, the more we understand, like Paul did, how challenging it is. It is also something that we know we are never left alone. You never let go of us, as we just sang. You remind us over and over again, even when the overwhelmed feeling comes, that you are present with us in it. That even when we feel like it is too much, you're greater than what is too much for us. We pray, Father, that you equip us this morning to hear with ears, to hear your voice. Not mine, not what I have to say, but what you have to say to us. Lord, the beautiful thing about your word is this is your message to your people. Help us to hear your message today in a way that glorifies, glorifies you and equips us to serve you in your kingdom. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Literally, it's going to be about maybe one-tenth of the way from the back of your scriptures. If you get into, like, um, the end of the Gospels and Romans, Acts, Romans, you're going to hit 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians after that. And we're looking at the entire chapter, chapter 4. It says this in the first six verses. Therefore... Since, through God's mercy, we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ his Lord, and ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts To give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Okay, I read six verses of, of Scripture. How many of you are overwhelmed by that six verses just looking at it? There is so much here. This is heavy-duty stuff. So I'm going to try to unpack just a couple things that we can grab onto here because literally to do this whole thing, you would be here for five or six hours and, and I'd lose you at about five minutes. Here's what we know. We know as we read the first beginning couple verses of that section That we start with God's mercy, right? It says, therefore, therefore, since through God's mercy, so therefore, speaks to what was before. The greater glory of the new covenant is the previous section. We know that God has made promises to us, and that promise is that he has given us his mercy. If we know the grace of Jesus, we start with that. We have the mercy of Jesus Christ. That gives us the ministry of Christ. It says this then. We have this ministry. So because you know Jesus and you know his grace, you have a job. How many of you are in ministry? That's what we're hearing, right? It's all of us. You have been given ministry. So it's then the question... To, for us to all explore, what is it that God has given me, because I know the grace of Jesus, that I might live into his call in the world around me? So we have this ministry that we have been given by God. But how many of you are a little overwhelmed by ministry? That means you actually have to talk to people who don't know Jesus, right? It means you have to talk to people who have problems, Because not everyone that you talk to who you want to talk to about Jesus has a perfect life. What am I saying? No one has a perfect life. So as soon as you're into this ministry thing, you're into the mess. Okay? So we've been given the grace of God through his mercy. That means we have a job. But that job takes courage because it's challenging. And here's what it talks about in terms of the challenge. It says this um, in verse, the latter part of verse 2. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So... The grace of Jesus gives us ministry, ministry takes courage, but even as you live out ministry, some people aren't gonna get it. That's a challenge, right? Hard stuff. Because it means that you're not always going to be, quote unquote, successful in your ministry. Paul is putting in front of the church of Corinth and us that if you're gonna follow Jesus, It's hard It's hard And if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning And you're in this room And you're trying to figure out this faith I just want to be abundantly honest with you It is the best life that you can ever know God will transform you in ways that you can't think of or imagine. I am a testimony to a person who, without Jesus, I am nothing. And with Jesus, I have purpose and hope and life. But here's what I will also tell you. Following Jesus in my life is hard. And I think everyone who is in this room who really lives out the faith will tell you the same thing. And I don't want to sell you a bill of goods. I don't want you to sign up for something that all of a sudden it's, Yay! Jesus! Life is perfect. Everything's great. My bank account is fine. My relationships are whole and healthy. My marriage is flourishing. My kids are perfect and ideal. It's not going to work that way. That would be foolishness and it would be a lie for me to tell it to you. And unfortunately, we live in a world where there are other leaders of the faith who say that often. And I'm just telling you, following Jesus is going to be hard. So if you're not a believer, I want to talk to you afterwards about what it means to follow Jesus. But I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Here's how hard it is, beginning at verse 7. It says this there. But we have this treasure, that's the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, that gives us ministry. In jars of clay... To show that this all surpassing power that we have, His grace, His love, is not from us. Okay? And here's your encouragement. Here's how wonderful the Christian life is. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but we're not abandoned. Struck down, I'm going to be honest, this, if you're probably in especially a health and wealth church community, is not going to be their mission statement that they're going to tell you about. Because here's the promise, right? The promise is this, that you are going to be hard-pressed. Amen? How many of you excited about being hard-pressed? Okay, let's, let's talk about excitement. You're going to be perplexed. Yeah! We all good? Amen? Okay, you're going to be persecuted. Amen? Yippee! You're going to be, oh, here's the best one. You're going to get struck down. Come on, bring it. Kick me in the face, world. I'm not wanting to sell you a bill of goods because the scriptures doesn't following Jesus is hard because we have this beautiful grace of Jesus Christ and if we carry this beautiful grace of Jesus Christ and we are able to do it in our own capacity if we are strong and we are powerful and we bring all this beauty and life into the world only because of who we are then how much of it is about Jesus? And that's what this passage is getting to. This passage is getting to, there is no way to get to the beauty of the glorious grace of Jesus Christ and the power of God creatively to make all things new, to transform and redeem the entire planet. There is no way to get to that through me. Only if Christ is in me. Because I am a a jar of clay. Let's think about that jar of clay for a moment. How many of you have a jar of clay in any way, shape, or form at your house? You have one? We have one. Are we? I don't know. Do we still? Is that the one that Troy cracked at one point? There was a soccer ball incident that involved a cracked jar of clay in our house. But that's the point, Right? You mess around with a jar of clay and things are not going to go well at some point. If you throw it around, if you jostle it, you might get a crack in it, a crack you have to repair. That's what God is saying to us, that I am the one who holds you together. And without me, that jar of clay, when shattered, is useless. But with me, even though our jar of clay has a crack, I don't think we repaired that one. But if we were to repair it, it would still hold water. It still do exactly what it was supposed to do. It would still have the capacity to be exactly what God created it to be. And I have the capacity, even though sometimes I'm perplexed, even though I'm struck down, even though I'm destroyed. If Christ is the grace and love and power in my life, when the time comes, I can still be who he wants me to be, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. And here's the beautiful part about that. When I can live into full and complete dependence on God in the midst of it, the victory is even more full than it would be if it were simply easy. Let me give you an example. When I use these two phrases, what am I talking about? Last for in, first for out. What am I talking about? What is it? March Madness. Anybody know what March Madness is? NCAA basketball tournament. We are in February, which means we have that to look forward to, friends, and it is a good time. Which means that sometime in the middle of March, or actually it's right at the end of March, you will be able to, on a Thursday, take hooky from work and watch a whole bunch of basketball games if you are such a reprobate person. Or you can just simply see the highlights at the end of the day on ESPN. But if you watch those games, here's what's gonna happen. There's gonna be a couple games that are absolute blowouts. You know what a blowout is? When some team beats the other team by like 30 or 40 points, it's not even close. There's not even a challenge for the team that's ahead. Like literally they're, they're going like, Half speed, they're just shooting shots and making them The other team just has no capacity to even come close to them They're putting in all the scrubs, everyone gets playing time And it's one of those really, really easy games And if you talk to the players at the end of the game The ones who won the blowout Here's what they're going to say They say, oh yeah, we just had a great day I, you know, I just was really feeling it today you know, we were a team that just came together and had, had strength and ability to be able to do it. And that's great. But then there's going to be the other games. There's going to be the buzzer beaters. You know what a buzzer beater is? A buzzer beater is when like literally with like three seconds left, one team is down by one, two points. And the other team comes down and launches a three-pointer or gets that one layup or an amazing dunk or a pass or whatever. And at the end of the game, right as the clock goes to zero, the ball drops into the hoop and the team that wins absolutely goes bananas. Who's looking forward to that? I am. I'm looking forward to that. It's a good time. But if you talk to the players who are in that sort of game, you're actually not going to be able to talk to them very easily. Because they're going to be overwhelmed with what just happened. They're going to have to have given everything as a team those folks who are in the blowout yeah they were going on half speed they were going three quarter and they were still able to nail it but the team that's going on the buzzer beater the only way that they're winning that game is they give absolutely everything and in the last moment the last second the last thing they get success in some ways, I think God is setting us up for a life of buzzer beating. Where we, in order to see his glory and beauty in the world around us, are going to have to give everything. We are going to be, what's the words? Hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. Why? Why? Because in Him, we won't be crushed. In Him, we won't be in despair. In Him, we know we're not abandoned. And in Him, we're not destroyed. And we have to hear those promises so that as we give, what does it say, love the Lord your God with all? As we give our all, we realize that Our all isn't even enough, but Christ is enough in us to take it to the place where at the end of it all, we know the victory of Jesus. Let's continue verse 13 through 15. It says this there It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow for the glory of God. Does anybody know what passage of Scripture this comes from? It's actually a quote, the first portion. The very first portion comes from the two these words it is written i believe therefore i have spoken. Anybody know? Psalm 116. Okay? But if you turn in your Bible and go back to Psalm 116, here's what you're going to here's what you're going to read. That's a psalm of affliction. That, that's a psalm where things are hard, where somebody is what? They are hard pressed, they're perplexed, they're per- persecuted. They're they're struck down. And yet, we hear here, I believed even in that, so I speak. How many of you are having a hard time? How many of you have challenges? How many of you have burdens? How many of you, in some way, shape, or form, are afflicted? I'm there. I'm in that place. And because I believe, even in that moment of affliction, just like in Psalm 116, I speak. And what do I speak? I speak of the ministry of Christ that I have been given through his grace. I speak of even though I am the beat down one, even though this is challenging, even though this hurts. Through Jesus and his life, the death that I experience in my brokenness, in my sin, in my pain is overwhelmed by his grace and transforms that the world can see Christ's life in me. Because if they see my power, they're missing it. But if they see Jesus' power, they're catching on to the real thing. Again, I don't want to sell you a bill of goods. The only reason that any of us in this room can experience the beauty of life, the power of God, the blessing of his, of of the way that his Holy Spirit works in us is through his grace. The only way that I say anything of value to you this morning is through the grace and spirit and the presence of Jesus Christ. It's the only way that we experience this. We're going to conclude this passage. Again, there's so much here. I could spend so much time and my brain's just all over the place. But real quick, just take a second. An elder reminded me of this week. Um, they said to me, sometimes you need to let people know what's going on in your brain so that when you're, they're, you're preaching, they're not overwhelmed by, by what you're saying and how you're doing. Here's something that you need to know. When I'm preaching up here about a passage like this that is so theologically deep and complex, I want to speak to those of you who are, we'll, we'll call it mature in your faith— You know much about who God is. You know his grace. You've been walking with him for 50 or 60 years. And I want to give you new truth. But I also want to speak to those in this room who are here, who perhaps are hearing a gospel message for the first time. They're hearing about this Jesus for the first time in their lives, I want to speak to young children and who are in our midst, who are trying to figure out who this Jesus is. There's this tension that we live in when I, when I preach and when I try to give a message to you. There's a whole bunch of different types of folks in this room. And there's sometimes, I hope, that you're going to be able to hear things where you're at. Basically, what the elder, elder said to me this week, he said, sometimes you need to let people know how the sausage is made. I'm just letting you know, this is how the sausage is made. I have to live into preaching to a whole bunch of different people. Let's close this passage with that sort of understanding. Hopefully God through his spirit will give you truth that will bless you and encourage you. Verse 16 says this, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now what's interesting about this little section is it contains perhaps one of those insensitive comments that in our present-day culture, we would, we would say, boy, that's pretty insensitive, Paul. He says this. He says, um, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Who has had somebody in their life in the last month who means something to them who has died? Who has had that? Who, right now, somewhere in their life, is dealing with someone, maybe their own cancer? Somebody? How many of you are in a relationship or you have a relationship somewhere in your life that is hard, challenging, or maybe even broken? Okay, friends, you know, no big deal. Light momentary troubles. It's all right. don't worry about it. Cancer ain't no thing. Death, no big deal. Right? Insensitive, right? If I, were, if I were to do that to someone, if I went up to Virginia and said something like that right now, that would be pastoral malpractice. Because we don't experience that. Each of our troubles are these big things, challenging things, hard things, right? But that's dependent... On where our eyes are set. See, I know Virginia. I know Virginia. And Virginia, although it is hard right now, Virginia's view is a whole lot more eternal than it was a week and a half ago. Two weeks ago. All of a sudden, her view has shifted. Yeah, this is hard now, but I know it's almost at an end. For those of you who are walking through the challenge of cancer and the burden of broken relationships, yeah, I get it. It is hard. But God calls us to fix our eyes on the other things that are ahead for us. The eternal beauty, the glory of God. Okay? Let's say, let's say that um, I wanted to draw a map of time. How... We have uh, Frank. Frank, where are you? How old are you, buddy? 90. You turned 95? I thought it was 94. 95. It's hard to keep up with you, Frank. Frank is the oldest member of our congregation. 95 years. God be praised. I want to do a timeline of history really quick up here on stage. Okay, in the big scheme, we'll just say since... um, Christ came And let's say that 2,000 years around Is from there To there One stage to the end of the stage How much of that is 95 years Frank, it's awesome How, many, how much of that is 95 years I'm going to trip over myself here This Okay Now is that how old the world is? No. Even if you're a young earth creationist, which is possible, you have to add another 4 to 8,000 years before Christ created the world. If you are an evolutionist where Christ has designed things, God has designed things, evolution goes back millions even billions of years. Again, 95 You want to talk about light and momentary troubles, we get consumed by this, not realizing that how long is the promised reward in Jesus Christ going to last? Eternity. Okay? We don't get eternity, folks. We have no concept what that means. We're incapable of it. It's, it's impossible to grab it in a human construct. For all eternity, Christ is the victor. For all eternity, no matter how messed up you are in Christ, everything is made new. For all eternity, the tears that you shed at funerals or in doctor's offices or in hospitals are ended. And for eternity, you're in this place of life and hope and life and beauty and grace and love and power. I'm not saying that your stuff in this 95 years ain't a big deal. Because it is. But if we fix our eyes on the beauty of the victory of God in Jesus Christ, it changes the story. That's Paul's call to us this morning. That's a challenge for us. You're going to go through hard stuff. I promise you, you are going to go through hard stuff. But Christ is present in it, He's equipping you in it. He will bless you in it. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never let you go. And the eternity that is ahead when we live in the grace of Christ. It's pretty, pretty beautiful. Let's pray. Equip me, O God. Equip us, O God. To recognize the trials and the challenges of this life for what they are. Yes, they perplex us. Yes, sometimes we feel so very alone. We can feel pretty beat up. But what we also know, O God, is that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Even when we experience the consequence of sin and death in our life, we know that your life is present in us. You are redeeming us and equipping us for all the things that you have for us ahead in this life and all things ahead for all eternity. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, That for those folks who are here who are wondering about who you are, Lord, show them the truth of your grace. May they know that this is not an easy life, but it is the best life. It does equip us in a way that cannot be explained for all the trials ahead. And for those who know the grace of Jesus, Lord, equip them with your strength, your power, and your blessing to even when it is hard Live into what you have given them, trusting that you are present. Giving them strength when they need it the most. You keep your promises. Lord, may we live together into those promises. I pray, Father, as we go from this place later in a couple minutes. Lord, may we go in your strength. Because in and of ourselves, we can't do it. But with you, the world can be changed.